0: Welcome to Specs Speak Science, the scientific podcast hosted by a rotating cast of chemists and industry experts. From highlighting the hidden chemistry in our everyday lives to discussing relevant industry topics, Specs Speak Science looks to deliver informative content to the scientific community. With that, please enjoy this installment of Specs Speak Science. Welcome to this week's podcast. We're going to be talking about the history of women in science, technology, engineering, and math, or as we also know, STEM. There are a lot of women in science that you probably don't know but should. Women like Mary Somerville or Lisa Meitner. Now, Sally Ride was quoted saying, I didn't succumb to the stereotype that science wasn't for girls. Over the, the last few decades, we've seen a lot of more women emerge as as notable scientists, but there were a lot of notable scientists throughout history. We just never heard of them. There was an alchemist in the first century, Mary the Jewess, or Mary Hebrea. She discovered the formula for hydrochloric acid, and she was the inventor or the prototype of the autoclave, and she invented the double boiler or the, the water bath. Then there was the Empress Shidun in China, who invented paper for mulberry trees. Here's a trivia question for you. What year did the first U.S. woman receive her medical degree? Was it 1819, 1849, 1889, or 1909? Well, if you guessed 1849, you're correct. Elizabeth Blackwell became the first American doctor in 1849. There's some other firsts. We have Maria Mitchell. She was an astronomer, born in 1818, and she was the first female professor of astronomy in the U.S. with a prestigious list of accomplishments and discoveries. The first American female dentist was Lucy Hobbs Taylor, and she was born in 1833. Then we had a biologist, Nettie Stevens, who discovered the existence of the X and Y chromosomes. And of course, one of the most famous first, one of the most famous scientists in the world, Uh, Marie Curie. She was the first woman awarded a Nobel Prize. Marie Curie is a very interesting character. She was born in Warsaw, Poland, to an educated family. Her father was a professor, and her sister was also very highly educated. But the sisters couldn't attend college in Poland and ended up going to France for their education. They entered the Sorbonne knowing very little English, so they had very limited French skills. Marie worked part-time as a tutor and a governess. She earned her first master's degree in physics, and she was also first in the class at that time. After she earned that degree, she started working on her second degree, which was in mathematics. While she was working on that second master's degree, she was commissioned to do a study on magnetism properties of steel by chemical composition. But they didn't give her any lab space. So she started contacting her friends and her colleagues and was introduced to a pioneer in magnetism research, Pierre Curie. And through this colleague, they got together. She was given lab space, and they started working together. Over many years, they developed a relationship, and they married in 1895. And shortly after, she gave birth to her first daughter, Irene, who followed her into science and was awarded a Nobel Peace Prize in 1935. The Curies worked together during their career, and the, they, termed the, uh, they coined the term radioactivity. And also, the, the unit of the Curie of radioactivity is named after them. Marie won her first Nobel Prize with her husband in 1903, but they were very sick from their research and too sick to attend the ceremony. Marie Curie is the only person to win two Nobel Prizes. In 1903, she won her Physics Prize, and in 1911, her Prize for Chemistry. And she's also the only person to win prizes in different areas. The 1903 Nobel Prize Committee, though, did not want to include her on the Nobel Prize and it wasn't until her husband, Pierre, insisted that she was part of the research and it was essential that she was added to the Nobel Peace Prize. I'm sorry, the Nobel Prize for Physics. She discovered polonium and the methods to isolate polonium and radium. After her husband's death, she became the first professor at the Sorbonne that was a woman. Unfortunately, her reputation was tarnished a bit because she had an affair with one of Pierre's uh, former students. And he was married, and they had a relationship together, but he was separated at the time. But being a woman, she was criticized for it, and a mob descended upon her home, and she and her daughter had to, to hide and flee. During World War I, she worked with the government, and she developed a portable X-ray unit. They called it the Petit Curie, this little X-ray unit. And they drove these units to the front. She learned to drive so she could take these X-ray units to the hospitals on the front. And she and her daughter Irene would then drive these X-ray units to the front. She died in 1934, and she was exposed to large amounts of radioactive material. At the time, they didn't know it was dangerous. She would store radioactive material in her desk, in test tube pockets. Her papers and her notebooks are still radioactive today and will be radioactive until 3511. If you actually wanted to see her original notes and notebooks, they're kept in lead-lined boxes. You need special permission and protective clothing. Due to her research and and due to the popularity of radioactivity, radium became widely used, and it was widely used up until uh, late in the 20th century. So take a guess which items were marketed as having a benefit for radium. Which one was not considered to have a benefit. Was it pills, elixirs, and tonics? Was it personal care items like soap and shampoo? Was it things like beer and food and other consumables? Or was it children's products and toys? Were any of them not marketed for radium? Well, if you said they're all marketed for radium, you'd be right. They put radium in absolutely everything. And if I asked you which decade saw the last commercially available radium product, what would you say? Well, would it be the 1930s? Well, that was kind of the height of the radium craze in the 1930s. 1950s? Well, yes, they started banning radium products in the 1950s. But still in the 1960s, you had watches made with grody, uh, glowing radium dials. 1990s had the last sale of commercial radium products with the Jack, Japanese cigarette radium plates. As we said, Marie Curie was a very unique. She won two Nobel Prizes and she's a part of a small group. As of 2018, there are 853 men and 51 women with Marie Curie winning the Nobel Prize twice. That's only 5.6% of prizes going to women. Out of that 5.6%, 17 women have won the Nobel Prize Prize, 14 have won the prize in literature, 12 for medicine or physiology, five have won the prize for chemistry, 3 for physics and 1 for a uh, memorial prize in economic sciences. As I said her daughter won the prize in 1935 for chemistry and she, this makes her the only mother-daughter pair to have won the Nobel Peace or Nobel Nobel Prize. The most Nobel prizes awarded to women in a single year was in 2019 when five women became laureates in different four different categories. And the most Recent women to be awarded a Nobel Peace Prize were Donna Strickland in physics, Frances Arnold in chemistry, and Nadia Murad for peace in 2018. So why aren't there more women scientists recognized? Well, in the past, women were not considered to be scientists, they were not considered to be mathematicians or engineers, and their discoveries and contributions were either underrated or attributed to other people. We have four different professions. Let's see if you can guess what type of scientist they were. Author, nurse, actress, and housewife. Well, if you think about Wi-Fi technology, it was invented by one of these careers. So what do you think? Was it an author? Well, you'd guess wrong. The author was actually a mycologist. She was a famous children's author who studied mushrooms. The nurse is a famous nurse who is also a statistician. If you said actress, you'd be right. A famous actress invented Wi-Fi technology that we use today. And why did I say housewife? Because housewives over history have invented many, many scientific inventions and discoveries. So the actress was actually Hedy Lamarr. She was born in 1913, and she only died in t- uh, 2000. She developed, during World War II, a frequency-hopping technology. was used in weapons technology to make weapons jam-proof. It later became part of the development of Wi-Fi and cell phone switching technology. The statistician and nurse was Florence Nightingale. She was the first woman fellow of the Statistical Society, and through her hospitals, statistics were introduced into public health, and she popularized the use of the pie chart. And the famous author of children's books, Helen Beatrix Potter. She was an expert in mycology. She showed that algae and fungus belong to the same family. And she studied spore germination and the life cycles of fungus. But she was never recognized in her lifetime for her discoveries. Let's talk about some achievements of women. What famous US structure was built by a woman? Was it the Statue of Liberty, the Brooklyn Bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge, or the Empire State Building? If you guessed the Brooklyn Bridge, you'd be right. Emily Roebling was daughter-in-law to Washington Roebling and, sorry, wife to Washington Roebling and and daughter-in-law to the senior Roebling. They were the designers of the Brooklyn Bridge. She completed the Brooklyn Bridge after her husband fell ill. He suffered from a disease called the bends or decompression sickness during the building of the bridge and she took over. It was quoted that the completion of the Brooklyn Bridge was an everlasting monument to the sacrificing devotion of a woman and her capacity for that higher education from which she has been too long disbarred. Then we have the first woman to graduate MIT. She was also the first instructor in the first chemistry degree. This was Ellen Swalls Richards, and she was an engineer born in 1842. She introduced the word ecology into English, and she founded the science of home economics. She felt that all women should arm themselves with a knowledge of chemistry, as well as mechanical and physical laws. There's also some controversial women in science and history. Catherine Green was an inventor, born in 1755. It's actually her who is believed to be the inventor of the cotton gin. Eli Whitney was her house guest, or her boarder. And uh, it's believed that he got some of those ideas for the cotton gin, and it was patented by Eli Whitney, even though the ideas were Catherine Green's. And then Rosalind Franklin. She was a biophysicist who uh, passed away in 1958, and she proposed the structure of DNA. A lot's been written about Rosalind Franklin. A lot of people believe that Watson and Crick stole the discovery of DNA from her. Well, she was born in 1920 to a wealthy Jewish family, and she was given uh, admission to Cambridge, but she was not initially allowed to go by her father, her aunt, and her uh, mother convinced her father to finance her enrollment in Cambridge, and she en- ro- enrolled in 1938 at College, which is the Women's College of Cambridge. It wasn't until seven years after Franklin actually got her chemistry degree that women were actually considered to be full members of Cambridge, and that was in 1948. In 1947, Franklin moved to Paris to work in X- X-ray diffraction. And in 1951, she returned to London, King's College specifically, for her postdoc fellowship in biophysics. Here she was going to be looking at the 3D structures of proteins, and she began working on DNA with a Dr. Randall. But she was very unhappy at King's College. There was a lot of misunderstandings on the hierarchy, where she belonged in that hierarchy. And this caused a lot of fights between the different team members in the lab, including one of the team members, Dr. Wilkins, and the student, A graduate student, Doc Gosling. During her time during this program with some of the best DNA images ever taken and Franklin discovered a second type of DNA or a wet form called DNA B. They had previously known a dry form called DNA A but now it is now well known that the DNA B or that wet form is the most common form of DNA. A month after her discovery of B DNA she gave her findings at presentation at a colloquium. At that lecture was James Watson. He didn't take notes at the time, and he didn't have a very good memory, but he took this information back, and with Francis Crick, he built a 3D scale model of DNA, and then he invited the researchers from King's College to come and see the model, including uh, Rosalind Franklin. She was not impressed. She saw the model, and it was a triple helix. The model was kind of wrong. And she argued that the photos that they had taken uh, at King's College did not prove with all certainty of this helix, let alone of this triple helix. And when she was asked to collaborate, she declined. She was a very precise person, and she was perfectionist. So she wasn't ready to go down that route yet. In May of 1952, the student that she worked with, the King student Gosling, took what's called the famous photo 51. And that shows the helictical structure of DNA. A month later, Franklin announced she'd be leaving King's College to go to Birkenbeck College. In 1953, though, Franklin's estranged colleague, Wilkins, actually showed that photo to Watson, and Crick saw a report by Franklin at that time that said DNA crystals implied a double helix. Now, Watson also had discovered that the DNA bases would fit into a double helix configuration. And with this discovery, the report he saw, and the photograph, they were able finally to crack the code of DNA. Franklin did not put the pieces of DNA together, but she was very close. As we said, she was a perfectionist, and this kind of hindered her. She had seen some of the earlier pictures of DNA A, and she really could could not figure out how DNA B would fit into this structure. And she wasn't part of a team like Watson and Crick. Watson and Crick debated and they were arguing, but it was all in the betterment of science. When her team argued, it was very heated, and the exchanges were not particularly productive. Finally, Nature in 1953 agreed to publish all three papers, the papers by Watson and Crick, the papers by her colleague Wilkinson's, and Franklin and Gosling's paper. They were all published in the same issue in April 1953. Now, there was a little bit of an acknowledgement at that time. Watson Crick did acknowledge her by saying, We have also been stimulated by a knowledge of the general nature of the unpublished experimental results and ideas of Dr. Wilkins and Dr. Franklin and their co workers at King's College London. Much later, Francis Crick actually acknowledged. Rosalind Franklin's contribution by saying the data which really helped us to obtain the structure was mainly obtained by Rosalind Franklin, who died a few years ago, and that was in a letter in 1961. In fact, Crick and Franklin had become friends. She would vacation with his family, and she would stay over his home. Watson and Crick shared their 1962 Nobel Prize in Medicine for DNA with Wilkins, but they were not able to share with Rosalind Franklin because she had died in 1958, and they do not award Nobel Prizes posthumously. She was exposed to a lot of x-rays and developed ovarian cancer, but she never let this stop its work. Even while she was undergoing chemotherapy, she would crawl up the stairs to her lab to continue her work. She died April 16, 1958, And it was only at the time of her death, when her obituary was published, that her family started to understand how much of a contribution to science that she actually contributed over her lifetime. They didn't understand her as important as a scientist. The one common denominator of all these women in science is they did not let any stereotypes stop them. They all believed in education and fought for their place to do science, to become educated, to become more important in the fields that they wanted to research. The first college uh, was Bethlehem Female Cemetery, uh, Seminary here in the US, which later, later became Moravian College. And at the height of the women's college movement in the 50s and 60s, there were almost 280 women's colleges in the United States. Unfortunately, as of this year, we're down to about 35 women's colleges in the United States. All the rest of them have either gone co-ed or, or gone out of business. So it's only in the last 60 years did women's colleges and women's education receive the same priority as men's universities. So it's only since the 1950s and 60s that a lot of these programs have gone co-ed and allowed women to join them. And that could probably correspond with things like the second women's movement in the 1960s and the 1970s, or the Education Opportunities Act of 1974. There's been now movements to more inclusive language and centers for women in science and STEM teaching programs for women and women in school. We hope that all of these women scientists and these women in science have inspired women to pursue science and STEM careers. And I hope you've enjoyed hearing a little bit about their life stories. Next time we're gonna talk a little bit about women in science STEM and its future and where it's going. Specspeak Science is presented by Spec Certiprep, a leading manufacturer of certified reference materials and calibration standards for analytical spectroscopy and chromatography. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating the podcast and subscribing for future installments. Similar content, such as application notes, research studies, webinars, and more, can be found at SpecSertiprep.com. Thank you for listening to Specspeak Science, and we look forward to bringing you future episodes.